Hey everyone, this is Zach Jenkins, and welcome to Battle of the Atom, a new X-Men podcast where we talk about all the stories from mutant history, and uh, you know we see how they rank with each other. Uh, with me is my co-host, Adam Reck. Adam, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing today, Zach? You know what? It's been it's been a good day. It's been a real good day, and we're we're kicking off this podcast, which will be fun. I know. I'm excited about this. This is great. Yeah, we we've been talking about this for a while now, and it's going to be jumping in. Uh, I'm so, looking that, forward to this. It gives me kind of an excuse to uh, dig into my continuity holes. Uh, you know, things that I haven't read or haven't read in a while. So this is mm-hmm. great. Yeah, that's going to be uh, it's going to be real fun. So uh, for the people who aren't me and Adam and don't know what we're doing here. Uh, we are going to be going through three X-Men stories every week and putting them on a giant list, ranking the best X-Men stories and the worst X-Men stories oh, and worst. kind of everything in between. There's a lot terrible. of bad, too. Like, <laughs> look, I run I run Xavier Files, which this will be hosted under. I obviously like X-Men. Adam, you, uh, oh, you write the... You write the fabulous and underrated Bish and Jubes webcomic. Well, thank you. Thank you for the plug. Uh, it's yeah. super underrated. I yeah. do those occasionally. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you like X-Men. But I think, we can, I think we can both say that there is a, there, there's some stinkers in there. Oh, sure. You know, it's so difficult, if you think about it, to keep up decade after decade of continuity between all of these different books. So... You know, the idea that every single one of them is going to be a superstar is uh, asking a lot. Exactly. So uh, we've got we've got three books lined up for today. One kind of a classic one, one a more modern fun story, and another one that kind of falls uh, falls in between them. <laughs> yeah. So, I would uh, say. so what are yeah, we starting off uh, with today, Zach? I think I think we start this off on a very good note. Yeah. Let's start it off with the classic. God Loves, Man Kills. Excellent choice to start off with. So, God Loves, Man Kills was written by, uh, you know, the X-Men guy, Chris Claremont. It was a, originally uh, published as a Marvel original graphic novel in 1982. So this is a year after uh, Dark Phoenix Saga, Days of Future Past. Really, oh my gosh, I just realized that all three of those hit within a, like, two-year span yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? It's yeah. just this sort of creative high going here that uh, Claremont's nonstop. Yeah, he was uh he was on his A game, and he has a he has an interesting collaborator here. Uh, Brent Anderson right. does uh, the artwork on this, and he does uh, he does the uh, pencils and the inks on it. Uh, Steve Olaf does the colors for this. Mm-hmm. And and I'm and, I'm not mistaken that I believe the original artist on this was supposed to be Neil Adams, correct? I, the version that I have actually has some of his original pages that got finished and then he backed off of the project. So it's interesting that they, they, you know, switched over to Brent Anderson because the style is so, so different. Oh yeah. I mean, Neil has one of those kind of classic, 
classic comic things. And this, this is a bit dirtier. I mean, this really starts to feel like some of the 80s comics. Like, it's taking... It's really changing from the silvery bronze, the early silver bronze age stuff that you got in the beginning of Claremont stuff, you know, the classic superhero stuff like the John Byrne. And then it gets to a little bit grittier, a little bit more oh, realistic. Yeah. Absolutely. Look here. Yeah. And I think that's one yeah. of the things that do we want to get right into it? I don't know how fast we want to, do you want to do some more intro into the story? I mean, I, here's the thing. I feel like if you've uh, you've invested the time to uh, get into an X Men podcast, <laughs> you're you're at least aware of the concept of God loves man kills. Like I don't think that's too crazy. I so. Yeah, I mean, but, I mean if it, you're an X Men fan, you've probably read this thing a couple times. Well, and that's that's what I think is the best thing about God loves man kills. I can hand this to anyone, anyone in the world who has a passing interest in X Men, and this is the story form. It's the uh, like. It's the equivalent to like a Batman hush to me. Yeah. Because it, this is the greatest hits. It has the core team that you really think about. It's got your Storm, your Wolverine, your Cyclops, your Kitty Pride, your Nightcrawler. Sure. Uh, it's got Magneto's in there, and he's Magneto's not the antagonist. He's not the good guy, but he's somewhere in between, which is the right place for the character at all times. It's funny that you mentioned the lineup because you know, sometimes you, you see these classic stories and then they have some characters in them that uh, you're not expecting, but this is about as distilled as you can possibly get with an X-Men lineup. You know, you get the, the kitty, uh, you know, viewpoint, and then it's all your classic uh, giant X-Men characters. So, yeah. um, now he's, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. What, what's kitty going by in this? I believe Ariel. Is this was, okay. This was, this was Ariel. Cause she was Sprite first. And mm-hmm. then she was Ariel for like a hot second, but I think this is yeah, I think Pretty this Shadow was Shadowcat maybe. Yeah, because Shadowcat happened after the uh, Kitty Fried Wolverine miniseries, and then she was that for a while until she decided that code names were dumb for some reason. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. She's she's rocking I think this green and yellow almost Banshee costume uh, throughout yeah. this. So you know, if, if they had switched over to the blue costume, we we really would have had it like locked in on on the full classic here, but. Um, you know, you mentioned Brent Anderson's art and, and the, the grittiness of this. And I'm glad that it's not illustrated by Neil Adams because, um, you know, it does have a realism to it. It, it almost has a indie feel to it. Um, and there's a, a heightened sense of violence. You know, if you think back to uh, Dark Phoenix Saga and editorially, they're they're correcting like Wolverine getting shot. Right. You know, he gets right. shot right in the gut and they're like, Oh, it's a surface wound. It's a surface wound. You know, you open this book and what is it like page one or two that these there's children getting shot, <laughs> you know? So right. it's a, uh, it's a big departure, I think from what you were seeing month to month and it's very purposeful and it works very, very well. It's very effective. Well, I think part of what plays off that is how they handle the villain. Cause uh reference striker in this, while he has you know, still some sci-fi uh, uh, comic booky trappings with you know all of his purifiers and having a secret army. He's still a very down-to-earth villain. Like he's presented very much, and you know he's a TV preacher with a suit and tie and white hair, and he's just trying to warn the world of all these demons. And, and I think it's interesting that 
the character is developed like this because it's a very real world grounded, you know, here's a, here's a guy you might see on the 700 club or something like that. Right. Exactly. And, and yet there's, there's only a slight touch of added super villainy to it. It's really about the ideology. So, you know, one of the things that I think really works about this book and why, you know, you mentioned I can hand this to anybody. Um, it works in in many ways because it's a very very literal version of the whole idea of the mutant metaphor uh which is always sort of like floating around in regular uncanny x-men continuity but this is pretty straightforward about it um and it works it works really really effectively yeah no i i mean yeah i think we've we've hit it a hundred times this is just a great distillation of everything that makes X-Men work. Uh, I think one thing that I do like that I don't think we mentioned is just how it ends. I think the fact that at the end of the day, the X-Men aren't the one to save the day. They aren't the one to get rid of the threat. It comes from a human, you know, a baseline person just looking at this and saying, this is wrong. What's, What's happening in this situation is wrong. This kind of hate is wrong. And it gives a like tinge of hope that, you know what, whatever the X-Men are fighting for, this, you know, Charles Xavier's dream, it can be achieved. And yeah. I think that's a that's a great way to kind of close out this whole story is by them saying, hey, look, there's there's some bad in the world, but it's not mutants versus humans. It's getting people to accept each other as people. Mm-hmm. it's pretty cool no and it, it does end on a more hopeful note you know uh, like there's this whole scene at the end where they're trying to get magneto to to team up and he's like nah you know i'm gonna i'm gonna go do my supervillain thing um but you're you're very right that you know the whole idea of the x-men being more of a, a political presence and changing minds and hearts um in, in that avenue is is uh this may be the first time you really see that um you know it it gets replicated in a lot of ways i feel like we're seeing it a little bit in x-men gold right now um oh yeah with, with the new villain um but it presents a standard for for you know how that's to be presented um and, and you do see it in a lot of arcs right so i think with uh with that i think we've said a lot about it it is the inaugural space on our list, so it is currently <laughs> the best and the worst X-Men story of all time. Oh, you know, I didn't even so, think about no, it also being the worst. You're right. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be honest. I know what else we're covering today. It's not going to be the worst by no. the end of this episode. No, and I th- I think this could hold uh, a pretty high place in the Pantheon, even after we cover a wide variety of stories, just for all the reasons that we've said so far. It's very accessible. Um, it has a realism that, that maybe some people are looking for in their comics and, uh, it's just a darn good story. Oh yeah. That's, uh, that's good. So, uh, should we, uh, should we get to the down note or should we get to the, uh, decent thing first? I think we should move on to just to, you know, I think one of the things that we talked about was that we weren't just going to cover, um, you know, the most famous arcs, the most famous graphic novels. So, um, if I'm not mistaken, I believe we have this standalone issue from Wolverine and the X-Men. Um, we do. And I think that that is probably a good way to go because I think it should be our goal to sort of dig through and pick out some, some standalone things that are just completely off the wall. And, um, 
the issue that we're talking about here is issue number 17 um, of Wolverine and the X-Men. Jason Aaron's the writer. Um, but strangely enough of all the people that could have illustrated this standalone issue, it's, uh, Mike Allred and, uh, Laura Allred of Madman fame, um, doing the issue. Well, well, you say <laughs> Madman, but really this is Mike and Laura Allred of friggin' ecstatics fame. That's true. Cause this is a dupe issue. <laughs> yeah. No, you, you bring this up a good point. Dupe issue? Yeah. It's not like it's out of nowhere. It's just, if you'd been reading Wolverine, the X-Men, I don't think you were quite expecting this issue to come out. You know, I mean, it, it's it, not Chris Bachelot. No, exactly. It's, you know, it's very different. And if I'm not mistaken, it, this came out right on the verge of AVX, right? Like, well, you know, is, we were all that's expecting the weird some crossover thing about this craziness. issue. It's in the middle of AVX. Issue 16 and issue 18 are AVX tie-ins. And you just get in there, Jason Aaron being like, I want to talk about Dupe. I want to spend 20 pages (laughs) and talk about some Dupe. Because he really brought him back. Dupe had, like all the Ecstatics, quote-unquote died at the end of Ecstatics uh, 28, Mm -hmm. I think. Doesn't matter the issue number. Uh, But Dupe came back in uh, hmm. it was either was it was it the uh, Valentine's Day issue thing? They did a like Marvel loves issue where Dupe was in, and then I know they did one in Nation X that Dupe showed up. And then this is like his grand return as as a member of the staff of the Jean Grey School. Yeah, but and he he been he works there. <laughs> yeah, he'd been hanging out for sixteen issues. Just kind of seemed like a weird in joke that Jason Aaron liked. And then they decided, hey, let's figure out what Dupe does all day. And what he does all day is great. Oh, man. Because Dupe is is the guy that makes sure that threats are taken care of for the Jean Grey school. He's the guy who's going to, uh, you know, fend off the League of Nazi Bowlers. (laughs) (laughs) Which is such such a madman thing. You know, like I, I... I go back and I'm thinking about like the zombie beatniks and things that used to get thrown around in that series. It's mm-hmm. such an all red thing. And I, I wonder to a certain extent how much Mike and Laura had some influence on Jason in terms of the collaboration here with this story. Cause it just, there are things in this issue that are clearly things that the all reds wanted to draw and color. And <laughs> they work, they play so nicely off of each other. You, you mean like, like dupe and Howard, the duck fighting a robot apocalypse Yes. Or yeah, he guitar Duke battles. Fighting. I wrote this down. He guitar battles Satan. Uh, yeah, I believe he's he... him with the power of funk. Yeah. Does he at some point punch Fin Fang Foom in the face on Easter Island? <laughs> does that? Like, I'm I'm flipping. I've got the trade. Yes. Yes, he yeah. does. I mean, and then he he fights Krakoa and some more Kirby monsters. Yeah, and, and, then, and even on a more uh, gentle level, he uh, seduces some local school uh, board members um, to yes. make sure that they don't shut down the Jean Grey school. Which, um, frankly, should have been the biggest threat the Jean Grey school ever faced, because that was sure. not a great place. For, like, you're an educator. Yes, sir. You're an educator, Adam. <laughs> Do you feel like this is a great environment to mold young minds? Well, and I love that the very first page of this is Deathlock of all people giving his, you know, summary analysis of the school, its staff, its proficiency of all the characters to, to be the, uh, the person to deliver that information. It's wonderful. Oh yeah. This is a, this is a good, this is a good, good issue. This is, 
uh, when I did I did the coverage on dupe a while back and I think I want to say this is the one that I selected for the must read because it's just pitch perfect absolutely I, and it it has enough um, little Easter eggs inside of it that you can revisit it multiple times I hadn't read this one in quite some time and going back to it, um, just the second page alone, looking at the contents of Dupe's desk, which has Devil Dinosaur beer on it. Uh, yes, it does. Ecstatics, the movie on Blu-ray, uh, an ultimate nullifier, you know, I mean, a bloody yo-yo. Like each one of these little things could be their own miniseries. And it's all presented on one single page with Dupe uh, hiding some risque uh, literature, shall we say. Um, as he's fallen asleep at his desk. It's so great. I did not see the ecstatics, the movie thing until right now. This is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think that's it, so good. He also has a Tony award. Uh, yes, he does. Which I mean, of all the X-Men to get one, why not? Maybe he can go for his uh, EGOT. Um, I mean, he is, he is a Advent guard, uh, you know, director and filmographer. So yeah, I, I imagine he can, he could go for that if he wanted. <laughs> you know, one of the uh, criticisms that I've I've read uh, about Wolverine and the X-Men is that, you know, Jason Aaron takes too many liberties, you know, that the series leaned on comedy a little too hard um, and that it sort of felt a little bit outside of what we normally expect. But honestly, that's one of the reasons that I, I really enjoyed this series because it felt a very, it felt like a, breath of fresh air in a lot of ways it wasn't stodgy it it, it, it didn't feel stuffy in any way um mm-hmm. you know it, it was having some fun which uh you know you don't always see in x-men books you know a lot of them take themselves very very seriously so to have a standalone issue like this is, is wonderful yeah no i think it's great like i've i've talked about on the site and other places where wolverine in the x-men isn't my favorite mm-hmm. uh thing that was coming out but that's not because of the tone or anything. I think there's some structural issues. I think the Hellfire kids did not work out as well as yeah. he wanted them to. I, and I having them be that. such a big part of the entire run, that didn't work well Excuse me, with me. But It's yeah, an interesting think, choice. I mean, we, we can probably get into that if we cover those arcs. But the idea oh, to we will. choose them as the bookends is is an interesting, uh, interesting scenario. Um, but yeah, I... I think this book is, is a must have, you know, if you can find the back issue at your LCS, like definitely grab it. Um, it's so much fun. And like I said, it's got a lot of, uh, re, 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 re readability, um, because of all the little Easter eggs in it, you know, each panels could serve as its own little offshoot. It's wonderful. But let me ask, is it better than God loves man kills? Uh, I would say no. You know, I, I think that, um, if I was going to give this to somebody, I would, I would want to give it to an X-Men fan, somebody, or even a, a Marvel universe fan, somebody that is going to be able to get the jokes. Um, you know, if you give this to somebody that hasn't read any of Wolverine and the X-Men, if you give it to somebody who, and th- that shouldn't be the criteria for all of this, but it, I don't know. God loves man kills is going to be a very, very high standard to, uh, to beat. Um, but this is definitely a fun one, so it, it could be. Up yeah, there. yeah. I, I think I think you're right. This is this is a like 300 level X Men book. It's not a it's not right there for the beginners. I don't want someone to walk out of a Brian Singer movie and say, "What should I read?" 
yeah. here's this thing about this green floating potato. Like, Go to town. And, and he's going to uh, bash a nun's laptop in uh, for making a comment <laughs> about the school. <laughs> you know, they're going to be scratching oh. their heads for days on this one. Uh, when when Jason Aaron works, he works really, really well. Yeah. And this this is a this is a great example of that. And I think I think it's a solid number two spot right now. I think it's going to do better as it's going to do surprisingly well on this list. It's going to be like the fact that Gold Balls is way higher than most people want on my uh, character <laughs> list. Hey, Gold Balls is great. Oh, I love Gold Balls. Yeah. And when we get to a Gold Ball story, we will <laughs> talk. He's a lot oh, of fun. But now we got to talk about the last thing on the list okay. for today. You threw this one on the list, so I'm not taking any I responsibility did. for this one. Hey, hey, <laughs> if we have to rank literally everything ever, we can't save all of the stuff that's not so great till the end. So what we have is Extreme X-Men, oh number 25 through 30, God Loves, Man Kills 2, by Chris Claremont and Igor Cordy. <sighs> Deep breath. So there's a lot to unpack here. Uh yeah, yeah. Um, I think this might be a good opportunity for me to um, to just talk a little bit about, you know, how I think in certain cases, I'm definitely going to be uh, deferring to you. You are, I think, just from our interactions over uh, the years, I think that you're probably much more of an expert than I am on certain runs. My continuity gaps are, are mammoth in some, some uh, strains of time. So Extreme X-Men, this is new to me. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm looking at this going, I've never read any of this series. And um, this was a doozy, to to say the least, to to go through for me. It's it's late Claremont. Mm. It's very late Claremont. (laughs) This and I'll I'll tell you, not all of Extreme X-Men is this bad. Okay, but there's a weird patch like there's a weird patch here that it goes downhill. This now this story was originally uh, originally ran shockingly right around the time that X Two X Men United came out. They when uh, the first X Men movie came out, if you look at the cl- the X Men comics that were running at the same time, nothing like anything that was in the movie. Right. Nothing at all. It was Claremont's return, where there were uh, a lot of stuff about oh the Neo. Mm-hmm. It's a bad run. I actually haven't finished the whole Claremont return thing because it's real, real, real not good. It's shockingly bad. Um, oh, you know, and, and people read... thought it was going to be. Ugh. Yeah, to go through this on the same day that I was reviewing uh, and, and flipping back through the original. I mean, it, it kind of surprises me that he was even willing to do this. The um, there's an interview with Claremont in the back of the trade that I have for God loves man kills. And he talks specifically about how striker is not really a continuity character that striker is a, a, a one thing, you know, one shot thing. That's just for this story to tell this particular story. So to see him not only insert the character back into the continuity, but then tie him in with lady death strike, uh, put him in, I, what is it mandroid armor and then yeah yeah it's uh moses magnum's mandroids and then he's he it's it's almost as if there's sort of like a, a a drinking contest here for how many times he can get a character to respond to another character with another bible verse i, I mean it's very very difficult for me to read because it, it it hits a lot of my pet peeves that being one of them you what do you so think what, <laughs> uh 
Well, you just reminded me of something about this story, and I'm trying to go through my Twitter history to see it, because when I, I actually hadn't read uh, Extreme X-Men until, like, maybe a year ago. Okay. This and I, I just strictly remember, because I, I, I grew up with, you know, going to, like, Christian school and all that, so I have a pretty strong foundation about the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Claremont not only has people quoting Bible verses, but he's quoting Bible verses very out of context, out of place, and not from the position that, like, Reverend Stryker, who is a, you know, legal reverend, right, should be quoting things. <laughs> like, he should know better, even if Chris Claremont doesn't. And I, I find as I go through this that, I mean, it is generally one of my pet peeves when characters talk to each other in Bible verse, um, because you do see writers kind of fall back on that sometimes, uh, you know, if, it, right. if it's a quote unquote religious story, um, it, it baffles me. You know, it really does that anyone, a reverend or otherwise, is memorizing all of these swaths of texts just so that they can have these pithy retorts to each other. I, you know, it it blows my mind. And also that it's not just Stryker doing this. There's multiple characters aside from him who are, who are going back at him with it again it's very strange doesn't kitty do it at one time kitty and she quotes the new testament yes kitty. and kitty's very jewish yes i like, kitty's characterization here i'm totally on another planet with this i have no idea you know she's well this was what is she doing a, she's working in a, a bar is, yeah is uh, there's a mini series before this uh extreme x-men uh, mechanics okay where kitty uh she had been working for Excalibur, then she moved back to the X-Men, then she worked for S.H.I.E.L.D. for a hot second, hmm. then she disappeared and went to college and started working in a bar. Okay. And it was a little weird. It's and this was, weird. Yeah, this was her getting brought back into the X-Men stuff, I, and it just didn't work all that well. No, and especially, how far away are we in this context from Whedon's run? On like a year, right? We're, we're like a year away from okay. astonishing. That just says, "Hey, uh, Kitty Price just been gone for a while. Let's forget all the other stuff." Yeah, I mean, to see to to have that sort of floating around in in the periphery in my mind, at the same time that you know we're seeing Igor Cordy draw a side boob on Kitty Pride <laughs> in this bar, um, it it just it's so strange to me that Chris Claremont in you know, all of his wisdom and putting together all of the modern continuity that we love and adore really misses the mark so much with this story. Um, yeah. It's tough. I've, I've said before what Chris Claremont likes about X-Men and what fans like about X-Men seem to be two very different things. Yeah. <laughs> like at, at the end of the day, I think, I think his desires for these characters that he spent a lot of time developing it's just very different than what a lot of fans want to see out of it. Yeah. And uh, just on the other note, because we haven't touched it, I do want to say I think Cordy, he gets a bad rap because his most famous work is stuff on Morrison's new X-Men where he was rushed mm. very heavily to finish. And it shows in his work. Sure. I, th- I think he's much better here. Well, and I, like, I don't think it hurts that he's getting finishes from Scott Hanna. Um, mm-hmm. This does seem a lot more polished than what we saw with the Morrison run. I mean, it is jarring how the Cordy issues stand out in the trades. Um, when mm-hmm. you go back and you read those storylines, especially if 
it's paired with a quietly issue right after it. Um, you know, this, you know, it, it seems kind of house style. Um, it, you know, it's, it's not doing anything super daring. Um, the characters are interacting and it's, it just seems very, the storyline itself is pretty flat. Um, you know, they fall back on the, another trope, which I'm not a huge fan of, which is the, um, the sanctuary city led by the, um, you know, the mysterious, you know, a benefactor who we all actually can figure out within three seconds is the villain of the story. Um, which I, I think it was bun kind of, went back on that with an angel story recently. Correct. Uh, with, um, un- yeah. His with, in a, okay. I like buns uncanny, but his apocalypse war stuff, I still don't actually know what happened with it. No, angel. that was very, yeah. I just, I find I keep, that that's a trope that, that writers go back to occasionally. Yeah. It doesn't work well. Uh, I, I think it's fair to say God love man kills the worst thing on, or I'm sorry, not God loves man kills. God loves man kills two. the sequel. The obligatory sequel, <laughs> which never should have happened. Probably, oh, probably the worst thing on this list. Absolutely. So, far. so for now, it's got to be number three. It's it's quite. Oh, big. it's it's like there's God loves man kills. There's the one with dupe. There's a huge gap. God loves man kills too. Yeah. Um, I wish it was going to be the worst X Men story we're ever going to cover, though. I'm I'm sure there's worse out there. Um, but uh, for for our first run, this is pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we've got we've got three up. That'll uh, that'll do it for this week. Uh, as for me, you can uh, find this uh, podcast on XavierFiles.com. That's where I have weekly uh, weekly discussions about different X Men characters that come out every Thursday. Uh, you can also find a bunch of other stuff on there. Follow me on Twitter at XavierFiles to keep in touch with everything that I'm doing. And Adam, uh, where can people find you and your stuff? Um, well, what do you got going on? You, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Arthur Stacy, and then um, you can go to my website, adamrec.tumblr.com. Um, you know, you're so awesome about uh, reposting my Bish and Jubes comics when they come out, uh, but that that's always where they get posted. And then if I'm working on anything else, it's usually there too. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Uh, so there were a couple of things I wanted to plug. Uh, this podcast and everything that i get to do with xavier files is supported by all you fans everyone who's listening uh if that if you've liked what you're seeing here and you want to support it monetarily you can go to patreon.com slash xavier files and uh throw in as little as a dollar a month that gets you line cutting privileges for the weekly articles i do and now that we've got this uh, battle of the atom going on we're going to be, uh, I'm going to be changing that up to get a little different rewards, a little something for this. So uh, keep in tune for that. And uh, before we go today, I just want to give a couple of uh, little nods here. Um, our theme music is actually from the X-Men arcade game, um, which maybe you bashed some buttons uh, back in the day. Um, that music was composed by Seichi Fukami, Yuji Takanuchi, um, Junya Nakano, and A. Hashimoto. Um, and when I designed the, uh, the logo for the website or, or for the podcast, um, it's 
many of you will recognize it. It's based on Dave Cockrum's cover for Uncanny X-Men 100. Um, and it, it took me a couple seconds to find the other uh, credit here that I wanted to give, which was the Battle of the Atom logo. Um, it was designed by a guy named Jared K. Fletcher. Who you can go to jaredkfletcher.com and see his other logo designs. He's done a ton of work for Marvel, DC, Image, uh, even Archie. Um, definitely go and check out his stuff because, uh, you know, we want to make sure we're giving credit where credit is due. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. So, uh, I think that wraps up, uh, that wraps up episode one. Yeah, not so bad. <laughs> yeah, not so bad. Not so bad for our first time. We will, uh, see you guys all next week. Uh, we'll come up with a sign off. We've got time to figure that out. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Get it!